David was a man after God's own heart. We read one of his psalms a few moments ago. But David took God for granted. He lived in his past. There was a Goliath that fell at his feet one day. There were multitudes of victories going out as a captain in Saul's army. And everywhere he went, God blessed him. One day God made him a king and all of his enemies fell before him and his thrones established. He used to live in a wilderness and hide in caves and all of that. And now he's got a palace that another king built to honor him. And God has done so much for David. Somewhere along the line, David just assumed it would always be that way. And he didn't take time like he used to, to make sure that God was a part of every breath, of every moment. Second Samuel chapter 11 starts out, just says there was a time when kings go forth to battle. It was a time of war. Those days when there was a, a, a nation at war, the king didn't sit at home like our presidents do and our leaders today and direct things through generals and captains from afar. They were on the battlefield. They were on the front lines with their men. It's how they stayed in power. It's how they gained and kept the respect of their people. There was a time when kings go forth to battle, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. He didn't go. He just sat in his palace, nice and comfortable and warm. And first time in his life, David didn't go out to battle. First time. First time, and by the way, one of the only times until he was an elderly man and his own soldiers said, you can't do this anymore. We can't lose you, but this was the only time he willingly did not go. And that night he sat at home, went out on top of his house, and there was Bathsheba across the way, and you know the story. The one, the one time he didn't walk with God and make sure everything was right, the one time he didn't do what he was supposed to do, he fell into the deepest sin of his life. But it gets worse. He covered it all up. You know the story. He covered it all up. He tried to make it look at first like this was really Uriah's baby that Bathsheba was carrying and Uriah was a better soldier than David was and wouldn't go along with the plan. And so David just had Uriah murdered by way of the battlefield. And a few months later, he married Bathsheba and tried to make it look like everything was legit and all of that kind of stuff. But the Bible said this one little phrase, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Nobody else knew. We talked about Samson taking honey out of the carcass of a lion. He wasn't allowed to touch a dead body. He was a Nazarite. That was against the Nazarite vow. Nobody saw him do it. Nobody knew where the honey came from, and it was no big deal, but it opened the door to bigger deals in his life. Most Bible scholars believe that David went on for two years like that. The thing he had done displeased the Lord. During that two-year time, there were no psalms written. During that two-year time, there were no other victories. His, his army won that battle that they were engaged in without him, but that was it. 
David just went on like everything was fine, but he had displeased God and never made it right. Till one day Nathan the prophet came along and said, thou art the man. David broke down. David confessed something that nobody else knew, that for that whole two-year time, he felt rotten on the inside. Do you ever feel that way? Everybody else looks at you and you look fine, but you know on the inside everything's wrong. David wrote in two Psalms, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. He described himself as a man having broken bones on the inside. Anybody here ever have a broken bone? Bone pain is some of the worst pain you'll ever deal with. David said, that's how I felt like on the inside. He said, at night, at night when nobody else is around, he said, I found myself swimming in tears because I knew things were wrong. I knew something was off. I, I wondered, God, where are you? Where are you? But when Nathan the prophet, his preacher, confronted him and said, thou art the man, David stopped hemming and hawing. He stopped acting like this doesn't matter. David remembered the day Goliath fell and he knew that was God. He remembered the day out in the pasture as a boy as he opened at what uh, uh, some piece of parchment or whatever and wrote what scholars believe was the very first psalm that David penned. And he knew it was God speaking because David said, my mouth is the pen of a ready writer. God was speaking to him. He was being inspired by God. And he wrote those incredible words, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. And David, as Nathan confronted him that night about his sin, David remembered what it was like when God restored his soul and God spoke to him and God spoke through him and God did things that that little shepherd boy never imagined God can do. And David realized, I, I miss that. It's amazing how much we can get used to. It's amazing how long we can live away from the sweet presence of God. We can get used to that, but it's never what God intended. I'm not talking about we lose our salvation. We can't do that. But as Christians, sometimes we just, it's, it's not sin like David with Bathsheba. Sometimes we just get busy. We just get busy. Before I became a pastor, I was a youth pastor. I was Brother Rob to a group of teenagers in Palmyra, New York at another Heritage Baptist Church. And I had about 50, 60 teenagers there, youth activities every Friday night, soul winning every Saturday. Uh, I was, uh, we started a Christian school and, and I was the administrator. I was Brother Carson in the Christian school. I was the song leader in church. I was in charge of the special music. I ran a bus route. I ran junior church. Uh, we had three children at the time, and, and uh, you know, by the time uh, Tim was about five years old, we had uh, Tim at five, Sarah at three, and Anna as a newborn, and, and a young family getting things started. I was working seven days and five nights a week doing the work of God without him. I was just so busy. I wasn't trying to be bad. I just... 
I just wasn't sitting down with the Bible and saying, God, speak to my heart. If I open my Bible, it's, well, I need, I, I need something for opening assembly or I need a sermon for chapter, uh, for chapel, or I, I need something for Friday night at the youth activity. And it was never, I just need God to talk to me and I need to hear his voice and I need him to restore my soul and, and that's life. I wasn't in sin. I, I wasn't doing anything, but I wasn't walking with God. Have you ever been there? See, so you can be a David on the rooftop out of the will of God committing sin, but sometimes you can just be too busy. Just too busy. I remember one January, we, were, we had rented an, an old school, of all things, uh, to have our Christian school. We had our youth activities there. We had a gym about half the size of this one, concrete ceiling, walls, and floor. It was indestructible. It had like the glass block windows, you know what I'm talking about? We could have set off bombs in there and it would have not done anything. The youth activities that we had, they're legendary. Go to Palmyra, New York and ask anybody who was there in the youth group when I was there in the 1980s, ask them about Green Night or banana night. I mean, that place was just astounding. But the, the thing was, there were two rooms behind the little platform they had built, uh, just like these, but there was no heat in them. Zero. It was January. I walked in one morning. I was tired. I knew something was wrong. I was dreading, I was dreading the day. I had to do opening assembly, assembly had to go back to a classroom, work there, then we're gonna have chapel later in the morning and, and I was gonna have to be the speaker. We were building a new church building so the pastor was on the new, the new property and the new site so I was sort of filling in and wearing a ton of hats all at the same time and I knew I was exhausted and I just, I just remember going back. It was the room on this side. It was freezing cold. I saw my breath as I closed the door. The students had arrived yet and I just stood there. There was nothing to sit on. I just stood there and I just started to cry. And I said, God, where are you? God, where are you? I used to love this. And now it's just a job. It's a chore. By the time I get home, I'm so tired. I can't even enjoy my family. God, there's, I'm missing out on something. And for the first time, in months, I stood there in a cold, unheated room, and I opened my Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter one, and I just said, God, would you talk to me again? I do not know how long I was in that little frozen room. I didn't notice the temperature, didn't notice that I could see my breath. All I knew is that for the first time in a long time, my heart wasn't cold. How many of you know what I'm talking about? My heart wasn't cold. And I walked out, Bible in hand. I could hear the students upstairs coming in, and all things getting on, and I knew that in moments the bell would ring and everybody would file down into the, what we called the auditorium of the school, the, that gym, that indestructible place, and we'd sing some scripture songs, and I'd open the book of Proverbs, and we, we did a proverb a day, and, and, and so forth. But I knew on that day that there was a new guy standing in front of the students. And I didn't look any different. I was as handsome as always. There was, there was no glow. There was no 
halo. There was nothing like that. I just knew on the inside, I'm not cold anymore. I'm not frustrated anymore. Because I just heard God talk. How long has it been? How long has it been since you talked to the Lord? How long has it been since he talked to you? Can you tell we're off script? I try to be yielded to the Holy Spirit every time I step behind the pulpit. I listened to Adam sing that song. So many of us are looking back at, at a great decision we made at a youth conference or revival meeting or a church service and God spoke to our heart and man, we were just filled with him and excited about serving God. And, but that was then, but it's been a long time. When was the last time you just came to an altar and said, God, I need you? When was the last time you opened this book and you didn't hear an audible voice, but it seemed like every word you read was written just for you on that day? On that day. Those are remarkable times. I told you that when Trina was expecting our daughter, Anna, she's floating around here somewhere, she got very sick. She was hospitalized for over a month. Uh, we thought for a while that she was going to lose the baby. Uh, she could keep nothing down, and the insurance company just kept sending her home after a day, and by that same evening, the doctor would send us back to the hospital. She was losing way too much weight, and it was a, it was a, it was a bad time. We had two small children. Uh, Timmy was not yet five, and Aunt, or Sarah was not yet three, and it was early on, and we really thought we were going to lose the baby, but the doctor warned me and said, we got to figure this out. Now, we're going back 30-plus years, and I know medicine's changed a lot. He said, but I'm worried that we're not going to lose the baby. I'm worried we're going to lose Anna. I'm sorry, we're going to lose Trina. We had a Sunday morning prayer meeting at our church at that time, every Sunday morning at 6 o'clock. And um, Trina was at home at the time, and she was doing all right that morning, and uh, Timmy and Sarah were still asleep. And so I got up about 5.30 and drove over to the church for a men's prayer meeting. And we would have 20 or 30 men come in to pray. And then we'd all go back home for breakfast and then come back for service with our families and so forth. And um, normally we prayed in twos or threes, but that day I just didn't feel like praying with anybody. I just kept thinking, if I lose Trina, how in the world am I going to survive? I got two little kids. She was my world, and she was their world. Losing the baby. It's supposed to have been a happy time, and it was such a heartbreaking time. And I remember when we went back to a right, I went back to right about where the wilts were sitting and in the pew. We had pews in the church, and I had my Bible, and I just, I just knelt by myself. And first, all I could do was just cry. Just cry. And I just randomly opened my Bible. And it opened up, not on purpose, anything like that. I, I didn't even know what, where to look. I opened to Psalm 55. And I glanced down, and the first verse my eyes landed on was this verse. 
Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. First verse. And I'm just laying there. I'm just kneeling at the pew. And I'm just looking at it. And it's like, it's like God just wrote the verse that day for me. Before I was done, I had already set it to music. And I was singing, we sing that around here all the time. <clears throat> Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you just needed him? He spoke to your heart? How long ago was that? How long ago was that? I haven't spoken to Trina in almost six years because I can't. If I could, I stood out and talked to her picture this morning before dawn. If I could, I would. But I can talk to my God every moment of every day if I want to. And if you're saved, so can you. How long's it been? How long's it been when your heart just was stirred? You're overwhelmed with the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the patience of God and your heart just was filled with praise. How long's it been? We, we go through the motions and we get so good at it. God has never wanted us to go through the motions. The greatest commandment is not that you go to church every service. The greatest commandment is not even that you read your Bible every day. The greatest commandment is not that you tithe. The greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Do we? Do we? I watch sometimes sporting events or clips from sporting events and I'll see a stadium with 70,000 people all painted the colors of their teams and screaming their chants and all that kind of stuff. And, and if a touchdown is scored, the place is a roar. I mean, all over something that does not matter. And sometimes we can't even break a smile when somebody talks about the Lord. We hear a song like we just heard. Oh, that was a nice song. Do you know why I'm talking to you the way I am today? Because God talked to me in that song. Oh, I talked to him last night. I was up most of the night. I talked to him this morning. But I realized I want what he sang about to be my daily reality because I don't want to have to go find an empty room off the platform without heat and say, God, I miss you. By the way, if you miss God, it's not because he moved. He's right there. He's right there. I told you about a professor of mine in college, Toby Weaver. Some of you know him. He, gave a, he told a story one time as newlyweds. He and his wife were driving down the highway. This, and uh, his wife was sitting all the way over hugging the armrest on the passenger side door. They're going down the road, and he heard this sniffling. <laughs> and at first, he thought maybe she had a cold or something. He said, are you okay? I'm fine. And she's sniffling. And he said, honey, what's wrong? Nothing. 
And every man knows when they say nothing that they mean everything. Honey, tell me what's wrong. And she said, we don't sit close to each other in the car anymore when we drive. She's sitting over there hugging the armrest, crying. And Toby's just driving down the road. He said, well, I certainly haven't moved. He's driving the car. There's only one place you can do that from. Unless you're him, maybe from the back seat. The only one place you do it. And he said, all of a sudden, the sniffling started to dry up. And little by little, scooch, 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 scooch. And she was right beside him. This is before all the seatbelt laws. And he was able to put his arm behind him. You know, sometimes we know something's often, if we'd be honest with ourselves, we're really not walking very close to God. Would you understand? He didn't move. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Is that not what he said? So if I'm not close to God, he gave me the promise, draw nigh unto God and he will what? Draw nigh unto you. If I'm not close to God, it's not his fault. I'm either David on a roof, rooftop justifying disobedience or I'm just so busy doing good things that I'm not taking time for him. God wants me to serve him, but he wants me to love him first. And my service is just an outpouring of that. Amen? So how long's it been? How long's it been?